Welcome to The Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, go with me to John chapter 11 as we make our way into our first message uh, in a a series entitled 40 Days of the Cross. And uh, we're, we're trying our best, and I hope and pray that if you've not already done so, that you will opt into our daily devotional. Uh, we have uh, 40 days prepared for you. Uh, they're going to be read by some of our faith family, uh, students, man, uh, senior adults, everybody in between. Uh, it's really going to be, a, I think, a, a moment for us all to just prepare our hearts for Easter and uh, to take, uh, take the gospel with us and get our hearts ready, because we're not careful you do realize, like, these next few weeks are some of the busiest weeks, like, in the school year. You do know that, right? Like, we're going to go to spring break next week, and it just goes crazy after that, right? And so if we're not careful, and we don't kind of intentionally plan on it, a lot of things can kind of hijack our focus. And so our hope and heart is that through this, uh, that you will be blessed. And so uh, to that end, uh, we're going to jump right into it today because, as we know, we talk about Easter. Easter is the most consequential event in all of human history. Uh, because Jesus who died, was buried, and resurrected from the grave. How many of you are grateful that he is resurrected and he's alive today? Yep. And uh, by the way, we we do this. We welcome the folks online with us as well as welcome the folks in the chapel with us this morning. Can you do that? Um, as we start this series, we're live this weekend because we really do. All of you watching online and we have people that watch all over the country, we really do ask that you be a part with, of our 40-day journey with us. Uh, But we're going to set up the resurrection of Jesus in 40 days by talking about resurrection on the front end. Because one of the things that Jesus does um, toward the end of his ministry is he resurrects from the grave a friend of his, a man by the name of Lazarus. And so if you have your Bible, and and I hope you're already there with me in John chapter 11, we're going to try to walk through this entire chapter so I'm going to talk a little bit, we're going to read a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit, going to read a little bit. I bet we can do it together. And then uh, I have one point to drive home with you, okay? And it's, and it's a huge point. In fact, I just believe it's a great foundational point for this message series because here's the thing. I don't know what you're coming in here with today. I don't know what broken dreams maybe you find yourself dealing with. I don't know what circumstances you find yourself in that you never thought you'd find yourself in. I don't know um, what kind of shame perhaps you brought into this room with you today or perhaps you're watching online. I don't know what kind of insurmountable problem it is that you might think that you're dealing with. But I have one point, and I think this story illustrates it very well, that whatever you're dealing with, whatever I'm dealing with, it's not over until Jesus says it's over. Amen? It is not over until Jesus says it's over. Look at somebody and say that. It's not over until Jesus says that it's over. And so this morning, I've got about four things I want to share with you. And if you're ready, say ready. Ready? You see, here's the thing. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. Look at somebody and say it's not over until Jesus says it's over. Notice this. Jesus works for God's glory. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. And Jesus always works for God's glory. In fact, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. If you turn the page in chapter 12, you're going to find that story, where it's going to be be Mary who's going to literally take this expensive perfume. She's going to anoint the feet of Jesus and the body of Jesus and actually prepare him for his own burial. In fact, he he alludes to that in the story. 
verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I think it's amazing today that the Bible acknowledges that Jesus loved Lazarus. Don't you? I mean, Jesus loved this man, Lazarus. In fact, don't you know Jesus loves you too? In fact, look at somebody and just say, Jesus loves you. <clears throat> you got to remind people of that. Because I think sometimes it's easy for us to think that Jesus loves somebody else and you forget that Jesus loves you. And so he says uh, to the one he loved, verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. God is always going to move in proportion to his glory. Like he wants credit. He, he wants esteem for what happens in the world. And the problem with that is we live in a world that loves credit and glory as well, yes? But God always works. Jesus always worked for, for his glory. And so I don't know what it's, what's motivating you, but I'll just tell you this. Anything short of God's glory, you're going to find yourself bankrupted. You're going to find yourself uh, in, a, in a situation uh, where you're, you're always wanting. You know, I was thinking about this and what's happening in our nation today because I really do believe you and I live right now in some extraordinary times. How many of you are excited about what you're seeing God do across our nation right now? Is anybody excited about that? <laughs> Woo! I think it's awesome that we're seeing God just show up in some unlikely places and do some in and, and some unlikely people. It's a beautiful thing. You know, uh, I thought this was ironic. I guess it was two or three weeks ago now the Grammys played out in America. And you may recall that when the Grammys played out about three weeks ago, there was this. So this guy named Sam Smith, and he, uh, he had this song called Unholy. And, in fact, CBS actually tweeted out. They said, uh, get ready to worship, okay, and, and so here was our nation. I mean, everybody was subjugated to seeing this kind of nonsense. And then three days later, I find irony in three days, don't you? Three days later, the world, the, the church responded, the Spirit of God responded by showing up at a place called Asbury, right? And I mean, it's just been amazing What's been happening since then? And you know, I've had, because here's the thing. God always shows up for where his glory is going to get, uh, where he's going to get glory, where he's going to get credit. And so my hope and heart is this, is that we'll be a place and there will be a people that God would get glory out of. So God will show up more. Amen. Is it just me or is it you too? I just want to see him do it. And uh, here's what I think is fascinating. <laughs> I've had people ask this question. Well, do you think, Asbury, you think this is all real? What do you think about this, blah, blah, blah? First off, I think pastors talk too much. Can I just say this to you? <clears throat> I really do. I think any pastor who's got to always tweet or always put stuff out, like that says a lot more about them than it does about Jesus many times. I'm just going to be honest with you because I'm not an expert on everything, okay? No, no pastor is, all right? But here's what I can tell you. I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a road with two ditches, one on each side. I think the first ditch says this, this isn't real. I think that's very dangerous. Because can I ask you this question by round of applause? How many of you pray that God would bring revival to this nation? Has anybody prayed that? I don't want to be like the people in the book of Acts who, uh, remember, they, remember Peter's in prison? And they're praying Peter's going to get out. And God sends an angel of the Lord to rescue Peter from prison. And then he shows up at the door and he's knocking on the door. And he's like, let me in. Let me in. And so they send a little Rhoda, a little, little girl, a little servant girl to the door. And they, she's like, oh, it's Peter. And instead of opening the door, she freaks out and goes and tells everybody. And so now he's just sitting out in the street waiting to get arrested again. You know, like this is, this is awkward. <laughs> this is really weird. And then they finally let him in. I don't want to be the people that we've been asking God to send revival. 
and he sends revival, and then guess what? We're like, I don't think that's it. There's another, there's another ditch I think we have to be careful of, and it's the one to manipulate the circumstances. Where we go, well, you know, if God's doing that there, then we got to make him do that here. First off, we can't make him do nothing. Amen? <clears throat> okay? Can't make him do nothing. And likewise, I think we got to be careful of that. I think there's some pastors like, man, I just, I got <clears throat> to make something happen. You can't make it happen. I can't make it happen. Okay? But I love the road that we can be on, chapel, online, everybody here, because I think a couple things are true. One, it happened at a place that historically, these things have taken place. It took place um, <coughs> among a group of people, um, Wesleyans. Anybody here a Wesleyan by background? You're a Wesleyan? Anybody just raise your hand? You're a Wesleyan? Anybody? Okay, so like you kind of came out of the Methodist church. Like those people are not very fun. Y'all know that, right? Like, I mean, no offense. I mean, they're just not known to be real spirited, okay? It's not like this came out of some charismatic movement. I mean, I actually find great comfort in knowing it came out of a group of people who are usually more reserved in the way they worship. And so this isn't just some sort of uh, crazy nonsense. Uh, and I also think it's encouraging. It started with the youngest generation. Because revival always starts with the youngest generation. And how many of you would long to see our students and our youngest generation lead this church in an incredible I think it would be amazing. It'd be amazing. So, hey, I've been leaning into people like Chet. I've been leaning into people like Abraham. I've been leaning into people on our staff saying, hey, I want to steward this moment with you. And so whatever that looks like for your generation, I want to help do that. And I believe that you and I who are older in this church, we need to be people who encourage this younger generation. Amen? And so we're going to do that. And uh, here's why. Because God wants to move for his glory in this generation. And he wants to move for glory in your life as well. You see, it's not over until Jesus says it's over. Say it with me. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. No, it says he works in his time. Jesus works in his time. And, you know, what's great is we're going to talk about a resurrection story today to set up another resurrection story. It's that God's always going to do it for his glory, but he's also going to do it in his time. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see how he just loves people? In fact, look at somebody and say, Jesus loves you. <laughs> oh, no, I won't look at somebody else and say, Jesus loves you. You've got to be reminded of that sometimes. You've got to be reminded of that sometimes because sometimes you forget. You've got to be reminded about that. And he says right here, he loves them. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, here's what I think is interesting. If you, if you have a medical emergency today, okay, and you called 911 today, like you called them like and at, at 1 o'clock today, you're calling 911, something unforeseen happens at your house, how many of you would want 911 to show up that day? Like today, anybody? You're like, hey, I was at 911. <laughs> hey, look, man, I, wanted to, I feel like we're going to have something happen Thursday, all right? Would you... Just go ahead and send somebody over on Thursday. Y'all have something going on now? Yeah, we do, but I really think Thursday would be better, right? We want to get the house cleaned up, right? No. When there's an emergency, you want 911 right now. And here's what I think is amazing. Jesus goes, nah, I'll be there in a couple of days. I'll just be there in a couple of days. How many of you, let's just be honest, like it when God moves on your timetable? Anybody? Is it just me? Like, you're just like, you know what, God, I, I just trust you and everything. But if you would just hurry up and do this, I would appreciate it. Have you ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> would you hurry up? <laughs> you know why? Because we're Americans. <laughs> and we love to do things now. We want it our way. We want it right away. 
But you don't understand that your urgency is not God's emergency. Your urgency is not God's emergency. In fact, God is going to work in time because he wants to perfect you. Um, I love what John Ortberg says. He says this, biblically, waiting is not just something um, we do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. How many of you want to be what God wants you to be? Anybody been to the uh, doctor's office in a while? Anybody been to the doctor? Like, anybody, yes? Like, how many of you enjoy going to the doctor? Anybody, anybody? What's wrong with you? Okay, I mean, how many of you do not like going to the doctor? I do not like going to the doctor. You get why? Because if you go to the doctor, they'll tell you you're sick. And I've learned if you don't go, you're just never sick. Did you know that? You just don't go. You're just like, well, I'm, I'm, it's amazing how you're the epitome of health. Yes, I never go to the doctor. I'm fine, right? But here's what's amazing. When you go to the doctor and you go into the doctor's office in the waiting room, you know, after COVID, we've gotten a little better about this. But remember, during COVID, you remember this? Like, there would always be these outdated, nasty magazines at the doctor's office in the waiting room. Anybody remember this? And we're wondering why people are getting sick, right? Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> and just start turning that page, you know, and just leave that booger right there on the cover of Cosmo. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what happened. That's what happened, right? And we're wondering why people are getting sick. But I've also, for you single people, can I just give you a little pro tip here? The waiting room of the doctor's office is not the place to pick out a mate. Amen? Okay? Like, you don't want to do that. Be like, how you doing? You don't want to know. I was being honest, you don't want to know, so just leave it alone. But here's the deal. If you're in the doctor's office, and this thought has come across me, like I have a 1.30 appointment, and I don't actually get into the room till like 2.15. Have you ever experienced this? Is it just me? Have you ever wanted to send them a bill yourself? Just be like, hey, um, my time is worth something, amen. I don't know where you think your time is worth, but I know what my time is worth, and feels like you owe me a copay. You know what I'm saying? And here's the deal. <clears throat> we love it when God works on our timetable. But the reality is this. The, the waiting room is where we, we find ourselves many times. I love the fact that people like Job also struggle with this. You know, Job was a man God had done nothing, that, that God took away his family, and he took away his property, and even took away his health to some degree. And, and Job probably had some questions about, well, you know, God, why are you doing this? Why aren't you hurrying up? And Job 38.4 says this, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You see, the thing about it is the delay brings dependency. And the one thing that God wants from you and from me is he wants us to be dependent. You see, um, it's not over until Jesus says it's over. Say it with me. It's not until Jesus says it's Notice this third thing with me. Jesus works to build faith. You do realize that more than Jesus would ever want you to be faithful, I mean, fa famous, he always wants you to be faithful. Like Jesus wants to build faith in you. In fact, it says in verse 14, and Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He's talking to his disciples. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin to his fellow disciples and said, let us also go with him that we may die with him. You know, sometimes Thomas is called the doubter. He gets a, a, a bad rap, but he was also a guy who loved Jesus so much. Jesus had been to Bethany. Jesus had some problems in Bethany. Some people wanted to kill him in Bethany. And so Thomas knows if they go back, they're liable to probably deal with those people. And here's all I love about Thomas. Thomas is like, hey, we're going to go back to Bethany. And if they want to kill us, I'm down. Let's go. I mean, he was that committed. Because he believed Jesus could do what he could do. You see, here's the thing about it. <clears throat> Jesus is always in the faith-building business. 
And I, I, I'd ask you this question today. I mean, uh, how do you know you please God? You know, John, Hebrews eleven six gives us this. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and he rewards those who seek him. You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so faith is this. It's that you're stepping into some uncertainty that if God doesn't come through, I'm going to fall through. And that's what pleases God. That's why he delays. That's why he creates this circumstance. He delays it two days. He waits till Lazarus is buried, stinking in the grave so that he can set this up so that people's faith can be increased. And I'll just say this. One of the reasons we don't see this happening that much anymore because we like to be rescued. Like, how many of you um, have AAA? I'm just curious. Anybody got AAA? Right? You know why? Because if it's 1230 in the morning, right? Car breaks down. You want somebody to come tow you off. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. How many of you have insurance? Nothing wrong with insurance. But you got to have some legally, don't you? Because, man, we've been taught, man, when all goes bad, and it's going to go bad, we got to have this insurance policy. And yet you realize that when we, were, when we were children, that's not really how we were wired. When we were children, remember when you were a little kid? Like, I mean, how many of you are about, you know, I don't know, you're, a couple, you're my generation, maybe a little bit younger. Like when you grew up, you, this is no brag. I'm not, I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying. When you grew up, you didn't wear a seatbelt everywhere you went. You just got in a car. Somehow you made it. Amen. Congratulations. How many of you, when you were growing up, did not ride a bike, did not wear a helmet with a bike helmet? Anybody? You did not do that. Now then, how many of you would make your child wear a bike helmet? Yes, you would. And I'm not saying it. I'm not endorsing it. Oh, you're saying we should go without helmets. <clears throat> no, I'm saying for some people it probably wouldn't matter. But I'm just saying in general, I mean, y'all know that's true too. Come on. I mean, you know, that ain't that, ain't that hard to stretch, right? But now what I'm saying is, we don't really like risk. You know, when I was growing up, like some of y'all remember this, there was this, we didn't have playgrounds that have like all like the soft little spongy stuff on it. Remember that? Like they have that now, right? Oh, no, no, no. Whenever I was growing up, we used to have the merry-go-round. Remember the merry-go-round? A.K.A. the wheel of death. They didn't have no little sponges on there. No, no, no. You know what they put out there? You know what our parents put out there around that? In our public municipal park? They put gravel. So that whenever you got your friend going good on that thing, I mean, you got him going good. You got him all lathered up. And I mean, you got him to the point where his hands are starting to, his knuckles are white. He's starting to tremble and convulse. And he's about to throw up. And all of a sudden, he'd let go. He would slide across that gravel. <clears throat> and I mean, the more bloody he was, the better friend you felt you were. Right? And, and some of y'all enjoying that too much over there. Anyway. The thing about it is this, man, as we get older, we don't like risk anymore. We don't, we don't, we don't want to put it out there anymore. And, and I'm just telling you, if, if you want to please God, you have to exercise faith. You got to ask yourself the question online. You got to ask yourself, chapel, where am I demonstrating faith? Because if you want to please God, about round of applause, applause. How many of you want to please God? Anybody want to please God this morning? Yeah, cool. Then listen. You got you to demonstrate faith. You see, there's the last thing I give you. It's this, and Jesus always comes through. Jesus always comes through. You see, it's not over until Jesus says it's over, and Jesus always comes through. And here's the thing about it. Even in, because Jesus is going to go to a funeral. And he's going to a funeral, 
So he can show up, like when Jesus shows up at a funeral, like all kinds of things are possible. You know, tomorrow I'm going to have the great honor and privilege to be a part of a, of a homegoing celebration of our friend um, Ben Woodson and our, and our faith family. Ben is just a great man. Um, can't wait to, to, you know, honor him in that sense. I hate that, that uh, we're doing it. And likewise, I just love this man because as we was in the hospital uh, over the last few weeks, just to hear him, and I'll never forget going to his bedside, and he said, I am going to literally witness to anybody I can witness to that anybody who comes through these doors. So doctors, nurses, man, the custodians, whoever it was, got to hear about, about, got to hear about Jesus from our friend Ben. And um, I, I was thinking about him and just his life. And I mean, he was just a funny guy. I had the privilege to travel with him um, some through the years to New York. And, and, you know, I love that place and he loved that place. And uh, we both love to eat. And so that was also another beautiful thing. And, um, and, uh, and yet, you know, as I think about Ben's life and, and I just think, of, I think about these verses because, you know, Jesus, he, he doesn't always heal people here, but he's going to always heal people. Sometimes he does it here after. Right? But when Jesus goes to this funeral, like it's going to be, um, it's going to be pretty amazing. You know, what's interesting is how things have changed over the last hundred years. So it used to be about a hundred years ago, uh, more people would be buried, and and they'd be buried and not cremated. And one of the biggest reasons they wouldn't be, they would be buried not cremated is one, it wasn't really an option. But the other was this: people stayed in the same place most of their life. They were buried, lived, worked, died, same kind of place. Now people are more mobile. And so, you know, it doesn't make sense. But I was, I was thinking about this and because, you know, about 100 years ago, people talked about death readily. I have a friend who's a, who's a mortician. He was telling me, an under, a funeral under home, uh, undertaker, he was telling me, he says, people just don't talk about death anymore. He said, in fact, people, a lot of times people have people cremated and they will actually just leave their ashes at the funeral home. He said, it's amazing. And he goes, but then we have this, we're kept talking. 100 years ago, I'll tell you what people never talked about publicly, sex <laughs> or sexuality. And now, 100 years later, you think about it, we don't talk about death, which, honestly, death is as real as life. And, and we don't talk about death, but, I mean, we'll talk openly about some of the most graphically, you know, <laughs> morose things there are to talk about, right? And I say that to you because Jesus uses that backdrop. You know, by the way, whenever I die, I have one request. I want you all to make sure this happens for me and make sure my wife will, hold, will do this because I'm afraid she's going to back out. And so y'all make sure she won't, Okay. Because here's what I want. Whenever I die, I want to be cremated. And I want to give my ashes to a gender reveal. I want them just to die on blue. I just want to blow them out right there, right? And we just circle of life. That's what I want. I want circle of life, all right? So I just want to help people all the way to the end, you know? So think about that, especially you young parents. Plan. Anyway, all right. You're like, I have totally lost you today. Anyway, all right. Jesus always comes three. Three things I want you to see in this text with me as we close it out. These are powerful. The first one is he gives answers. He gives answers. He says right here in verse 17, it says, When Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. So the tomb was about two miles away from the city of Bethany. And it says he shows up and he, in, in verse 20, and so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and he met the Lord and she remained seated in the home um, and, and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, he will give to you. You know, here, here's what I, I know about everybody in this room. You intake information 
in one of two ways first. It's like in this room, um, we, we both do it. Everybody in this room does it. It's just the order in which we do it. So when you hear information, you're either first a thinker, like you process it intellectually, and then you feel it later, okay? And then there's another group of people in this room. You are feelers first, and then it kind of drops up into your brain, okay? And you kind of think about it. Martha, you got to remember Martha. Martha was one of them. Jesus shows up at her house earlier in the, one of the Gospels. She's throwing a party. She's the host. I mean, she's not Martha. She's Martha Stewart, right? I mean, she's, got, she's making sure the appetizers are good and the doilies are on the table and it's all nice. And, um, and she loved Jesus, but she was just very practical. Maybe that's you. And here's what's amazing about this. This, 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 this very intellectual, very pragmatic thinker, right? She, she knew that in Jesus, he was big enough to pacify the questions of her mind. See, I don't know where it happened, but there, there began this time here, I think, in recent church history, whereby to be a believer is to be ignorant. Whereas, by, don't you understand that throughout human history, the greatest scientists, the greatest musicians, the greatest artists, the greatest universities, the greatest medical facilities all find their origins in biblical Christianity. And so what that tells me is this, is that the greatest minds, it's only been, it's a recent phenomenon that we would reject faith, that we would reject, it's a recent phenomenon. Because all throughout human history, the Bible, Jesus, have pacified the greatest minds throughout human history. And if you're in this room and you're skeptical about the claims of Jesus, I would want you to know that Jesus is enough. I want you to know that, that Jesus has the answers. And here's the best part. If Jesus can answer the question of death for you, because you do realize when you are buried and you die and you resurrect from the grave, as Jesus will do in 40 days, okay, you do understand that you get to make the rules, okay? That's how that works. And he, he is able to pacify whatever questions you might have. The question is this, are you a sincere seeker or are you just a skeptical doubter? Because, because in, in Christ, we have whatever answers we need. I want you to notice the second thing, his care. His care. You see, Jesus has what it takes with his words, but also with his care. Verse 28, and when she said this, she went and she called her sister Mary. Mary's the feeler. And Mary, it said in private, Te the teacher is here and he's calling for you. When she heard it, she arose quickly and she went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still the place where he had met Martha. Verse 31, and when the Jews who were with, her in the were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rose quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. You've got to realize back in this day, um, you would pay mourners to actually come alongside your family to mourn. You would hire professional mourners. And so you would, when a, body, when a person died, you put their body in a tomb, you, you did all the embalming that you, you could do there, and then you would... the, the about a week was a celebration or there was the mourning that went on and it was a real restricted diet like boiled eggs and all this kind of like we're used to like having funeral meals that are just huge and lavish. That's not the case here. It was a very regimented diet. It was very much uh, about sadness and sorrow. And you had these mourners who were just paid to continually cry. So you can imagine Mary and all of her professional mourners go out and they see Jesus. And Jesus, when he encounters her, I love this. It says this. It says, And now Mary came where Jesus was, and she saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying, 
Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, that just sort of sounds like exactly what her sister said just verses before, doesn't it? I mean, if you'd have been here, why did this happen, Jesus? You could have stopped this. And man, isn't that the question that we always have when we find ourselves in the hard situations in life? Like, where were you? And I love this. It says, when he saw her weeping, here's what's so great. Jesus doesn't lecture her. Jesus doesn't go off on her. It says, and when he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had been also weeping, um, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Like he saw this feeler. He saw Mary, and his heart was broken for her. It says, where have you laid him? And they saw him. And they said to him, Lord, come and see in verse 35. Shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. In fact, I bet you can memorize that one. Jesus wept. In fact, just say it with me. Jesus wept. One more time. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Here's the thing about it. He knew how it was going to turn out. He knew he was about to resurrect Lazarus. He knew there was about to be a party. But check this out. In that moment, his heart was wrenched. For the pain of Mary. And I want you to hear me. Like as Jesus' eyes perused this crowd today, his heart is wrenched for you. Like he, he sees. Like he feels. I, I think one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the Bible is in Psalms 56, 8, when it talks about how he literally takes our tears and he puts them in a bottle. Like he knows that thing that you feel shame over, that you cry yourself to sleep over at night? Like he, he knows the thing that you, you just regret that you ever did. Like he, he knows the circumstances that, that you've been trying to escape but you've felt powerless to. He knows. Verse 36, and so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Isn't that beautiful? See how he loved him. Crowd, I want you to know something. Maybe this is your first time here Maybe you've kind of came in and you're just sort of giving this a last-ditch effort. I want you to know something. Jesus sees you today. His heart breaks for you. He's not trying to get you. By the way, if he wanted to get you, you know he had already got you, right? Because sometimes I think people think that Jesus is just up there in heaven like, man, he's just a cosmic principle and he's got a big paddle. And when you mess up, he's just going to put a holy beat down on you. No. He want to get you here, I got you. Now he loves you. Because notice how this ends. There's his words, and then there's his care. But then this, this, is, this is it. He has the ability to change things. Because look what it says in verse 38. It says, and Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and the stone was laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. I love this. Martha, sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there'll be an odor. He's been dead for four days. I bet. I mean, nothing else. When Lazarus gets out of the grave, he's going to need some right guard and a tic-tac. Amen? I mean, I mean that brother, I mean, he, it, it's, it's been a while. Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up at his eyes, and, and then he prays. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. In verse 43, And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Verse 44, And the dead man, the man who had died, came out, 
And his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. In the same way, he has the ability today in this room because we're almost done. And, and, And in the same way, his words are powerful. In the same way, it's been happening across this weekend. In the same way, I can be addressing hundreds of people in this room, hundreds of people online, people in another uh, uh, expression on our campus and our chapel, and yet, listen to me, Jesus speaks to you directly. And he says, Lazarus, come out! Lazarus, who was dead, decaying in a tomb. Four days his flesh had rotted. Four days the stench of death happened. And you may say, that's exactly the way my marriage is today. That's exactly the way I feel like my future is today. That's exactly where I feel like I've just got such shame and I just feel like I am just such an embarrassment and I feel like I've just let so many people down. And in the same way, that same Jesus who some 2,000 years ago called forth Lazarus, he stands here in the midst of us, this crowd, through the power of his Holy Spirit, and he says, come out to you today. That's what he says today to you. You don't have to leave here the way you came in. Because he says this, that then he says, come out. And it says that this man who had been bound with these linen strips. See, here's what you'd have to understand about the process of, of embalming. Um, what they would do is it was basically like mummification. They would take these little strips of linen and they would wrap the limbs really, really tightly. They'd wrap them together. And they would wrap the entire body. So whenever you were wrapped, and, and by the time they added all these perfumes and nards and ointments and they hardened, you could weigh literally 100, it, just the, the, the cloth and just all that, 150 to 200 pounds. So whenever Lazarus, I mean, imagine this. Jesus calls you forth, come out, Lazarus. And then Lazarus, it's not like Lazarus can just kind of, kind of like hop out of the grave and just be like, no. Like, he, he can't do that. He can't move his legs. Like, I mean, he, he, he can't. I mean, it, 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 it would have been like, Lazarus, come forth. It'd be like 15 minutes later. He'd just be like coming over here like, I got here as fast as I could, Lord. No. I love what some scholars have suggested. That when he said, come out, Lazarus, that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that literally propped up his body. And it literally drug it, floated it, moved it. To the front of that cave entrance. See, here's what you got to know today. You don't have what it takes to make the changes you need to make, but the resurrection of power of Jesus Christ that lives in you because he was once buried and he resurrected from the grave. And the same power that raised Christ out of the grave is the same power that rests in you and it can change you today. That's what it can do today. Change you today. Right now. It's not about you trying to generate this. You can't. And then the the beautiful thing is, it's his words, right? The power that only he, but then I love this. He says, unbind him. Unbind him and walk. And this man who was rendered helpless, 
behind the tomb, the, the stone of the tomb. He was resurrected by the, by the call of Jesus. He was moved out of that tomb by the power of Jesus. And then because Jesus said cut forth of his, his binding, he was able just to walk on home that day. Isn't that amazing? In freedom. I wonder how many of you need freedom today. I wonder how many of you would just say, man, I've just had a lot of shame and guilt and I've had a lot of things in my life that I just, and they just, they're like, they're, they're like the bones of Lazarus in that tomb. And I'm going to tell you something, Jesus is calling. As we start 40 days in the, in, in the, to the cross, I want you to understand something. You understand life only gives life. Like it's two people that are alive who procreate and they like create another generation of people. You know this, right? Like two dead people have never gotten together and done that. You know that. Like, like it takes life to bring life. And that's why I'm saying to this body of believers today, listen to me. If it's ever been important that you and I be people that demonstrate life, it's right here. It's right now. I'm telling you, the world desperately needs what you have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. And if you've not received what Jesus wants to give you, why would you want to leave here that way? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just wonder if you're here today and you say, you know what, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I've never had this resurrection moment. I've never been filled by His Spirit. I've never, but I want Him to change and transform me today. Friend, that can happen for you today. It can happen right now. Maybe that's why he brought you here for the very first time. Maybe that's why he keeps bringing you back to this place. You just can't understand why you can't get, you can't get away from here. And something keeps drawing you back, and that's, that's the Spirit of God saying, hey, it's your moment. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder how many of you would just say, hey, there's this thing in my life that, that Jesus wants to call me out of. Would you just raise your hand? There's this thing he's calling me out of. Would you just raise your hand? There's this, yeah, there's just this thing, yeah. Friend, he'll do it for you. He'll put hope back in your life. He'll do it for his glory. He'll do it in his time. He'll do it to build your faith. But he'll do it. He can do it. 